0: So let's get down to business with another episode of Start a Hustle brought to you by fullscale.io. And we're back. Back for another episode of Start a Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation. I'm hoping helps your business grow. You know, I think when I look at at being an entrepreneur, When people look back at what I've done and what I'm doing, I want people to see me as consistent, a gold glove, hall of famer kind of guy. So I figured I would bring someone in that's done a lot of that already. Before I introduce who that is today, today's episode is Startup Hustles Powered by Fullscale.io. Hiring software developers is difficult and Fullscale can help you Build a software team quickly and affordably and has a platform to help you manage that team. Visit fullscale.io to learn more. If you're not aware, that's my company and we love talking to Startup Hustle listeners. So reach out. With me today, I gotta say, I'm I'm a little starstruck because I got one of my childhood and lifetime heroes on the show today. And that's Frank White. If you don't know who Frank White is, let me tell you. And this is going to take a second because the man has so many accolades. Played for the Kansas City Royals for 18 years. Five-time Major League All-Star. Was the first American League second baseman to win eight gold gloves. That's a lot of gold gloves. 1980, voted the most valuable player of the American League Championship Series and led the Royals to their first World Series. Did it again in 1985. Nicknamed Smooth and Hoover. He's the guy, super consistent. Frank White, welcome to Start a Puzzle.
1: Oh, Matt, thank you so much. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you reached out to me.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm really glad to have you on the show. And, and, and I got to say thank you for your continued commitment and representation of our hometown in Kansas City. I, I, I'd struggle to find many names and people that do a better job of that. Uh, always was a big admirer of your work ethic and the consistency and stuff like that. So, you. you know, Thank here you. we are with a basic, with a ball player on an entrepreneur podcast, um, you know, but it, it, I think it's, even though I gave a li- list of all the stuff that you've done, it's still, I still like to ask everyone I talk to for a little bit of a, a little bit of, back, of your own backstory in your words. Well, in terms of entrepreneurship, uh, I, I... Well, in terms
1: of just everything. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, my you know, growing up here in Kansas City, uh, I was uh, you know, we're talking a lot of years ago, and I I was always one of those kids that always wanted money in my pocket. Uh, I'd always uh, be have a shovel on my on my on my shoulder when it snowed, a rake on my shoulder when the leaves fell, and, and a lawnmower in the summer. So I was always looking to make extra money, but. Didn't have, didn't have any thoughts of uh, that being entrepreneurship or putting together a lot more business or whatever that might be. But I know people that have and they're, they're very successful at it. And I know players that have started their own businesses. And, and, and so they are happy they were happy doing that. And some of them are still happy doing it. And so my, my uh, entrepreneurship now is just being able to do as many things in life that I never thought I could do and, and just challenge myself uh, in, in, at, at every level.
0: You know, we, we had uh, a, another former royal, Jeff Montgomery, on the show once, and actually talked a lot about the entrepreneurship that athletes go through. Because you're, and while well, you may have an agent or whatever, but coming up like you're your own product, you are your own startup. You know, what did that look like for you coming up uh, to the major leagues, and and what did you learn from that being your own business? Well, we had a I had a different start than most guys. You know,
1: I I wasn't a draft. A high draft choice i wasn't even a draft choice at all i mean i was one it was just me saying when i was 19 years old i've always been curious i always never have been afraid to take a chance and i decided when i was 19 years old that i was going to go down and, and try out for the royals and i asked my boss for a couple of days off and he, and i went down and tried out and and they were starting this experimental baseball school in florida so they selected me to go to this school and and then I, I realized, okay, I, I didn't have all the formal training uh, that most kids have today. And, but I knew that I was a good athlete. I just didn't have all the fundamental stuff down to, to be able to do what I needed to do. But being in that school and, and, and working six days a week on fundamentals, and once I got the fundamentals down, then I was, I'd say a good example is I was a month from turning 20 when I went into the academy, and this is after playing like 30 games in the summer. And I was in the big leagues at, in, in, in 73. So it, it just it, it happened that fast for me. And then once I got to uh the major leagues, then if you want to count this as being an entrepreneur, I, I said I was a shortstop and I looked around and I saw the second baseman was older than the shortstop and I said, "Well, it looks like he might be retiring a lot faster than the shortstop." So, I said I better learn how to play second base. So, I went back to triple so I played second base. I uh, the next over the next three years, I went to Venezuela in the winter, two years, and went to Puerto Rico one year, and then in 1977, when after 76 season, Cookie retired, then I was able to play uh, second base on, on a daily basis. But but from 73 to 70, 76, uh, we had no free agency, so we basically had to take whatever the owners want to give us. So we didn't really have any say over really what was going to happen to us until we went through a few strikes and got better benefits and got higher pay and And then when uh, free agency started in 1977 and everybody in the open market uh, came into play, then that's when you really saw uh, how much value you had to your team as a player. And then you marketed that the rest of the way
0: you look at so many people as entrepreneurs or startup founders are trying to develop a little street cred you know you talk about a lot of us are, are pretty young when we start our, our business and you're swimming upstream against the experience you don't have uh, that I think that that applies to your story you talk about the I think that it's probably fair to assume that like a number one draft pick is going to get maybe more opportunities or faster than an undrafted player. <laughs> uh, you know, did, did, did you have a chip on your shoulder? Did that, did that motivate you? Did it make you want to make up, wake up and prove everybody wrong? Or. I mean, I think that what, what I wanted was an opportunity. And I
1: feel like no. if, if you get an opportunity and you're a good athlete and you put hard work with that opportunity, then good things happen. Uh the only thing that a, a high draft choice would have over what I did was they would get more money when they signed. Obviously, where I signed it was fifty dollars a month, and yeah. so they would they would probably get they were probably getting back then a bonus. baby was like thirty thousand a year, and so I had to work hard to get to where I wanted to go. And so you do you do have a chip on your shoulder. I mean you you wear it well, uh, but you know that when it was time to practice, you had to practice. You the guys wanted to go out and. And, and hang out. I see you guys hang out. I'm gonna work out first, and I catch up with it. So I got real selfish about my workouts, and I didn't want to I didn't want to miss anything. And and so mainly you just you just say, hey, you know, we all we got all these guys who are trying to get to the major leagues, and everybody's gonna take a different path to get there. So you had to develop your path, and uh, and that that started with getting the right roommate in the minor leagues and and, and things like that. And, and just making sure that, uh, you not you don't get off track and you, cause you can get off track very easily.
0: What's an example of something in your practice routine that you, uh, yeah, I find that people that are diligent about that kind of stuff, often their, their teammates and people around them kind of poke fun at them sometimes that, you know, like you just hear the stories about the basketball player that shot 250 free throws and didn't leave until he made 30 in a row or so. I would, I'd still be there shooting today. But was there was there something with your approach that that everyone was like wow like he's that guy? Well, to me it was about uh,
1: your routine, your you know fundamentals. Uh, you know, from I, I would go out to a handball court and I would throw balls against the wall to work on my fielding technique. Uh, I would uh, uh, tie a old, old, old when they had inner tubes, so you, you take a tractor inner tube, you cut it into links, and you and you put it on the end of a bat, with a, and then you wrap it around a pole, and you just work on developing your forearms. because We didn't have a weight program back in those days, so everything was done on your own. Uh, so I think the big, main thing was just uh, ground ball left the ground ball left the ground ball and then, until you got that technique down. And and when I uh, got the second base job, uh, my, my, my thing was I always wanted to be the best defensive second base to play the game. That was my goal. And when I got a chance to play every day my first year, I made seven errors and won my first gold glove. And then I won uh, six consecutive gold gloves from there and skipped a couple of years and then came back and won two more. So I, I just want to be the best. And and I I think that to be the best, you have to put yourself in a position uh, to, to get there. But and you want to be good and but you want people to like you for being good. So you have to be a, a little humble at the same time uh, and you got to give credit where credit's due. Uh, but the main thing is when you compete, you, you compete as hard as you can.
0: You, you mentioned finding the right roommates. And I want to talk about that for a second because there's this really strong belief in the current world of self-improvement and achievement that the people that you're around, the ma- mainly the five people that you spend the most time around, you kind of end up being the average what's in there. And, you know, with that, I, I personally take that seriously. I try to remove myself from people that are negative or people that just kind of, I don't know, there's some people that lead you down the wrong path. And I know that in pro sports, there's a lot of temptation and and things that, that go on, you know, like what, what, what do you, how, what made you at, especially, it sounds like you did it at a pretty young age too. Like, I don't think most young 20s Anyone It's like, you know what? Let me find the most responsible or hardworking person to be a roommate with. But what, what, what made you want to do that, or what did you learn from that?
1: Well, I was I was married at the time and had my first son, so uh, right. even though we were separate, that gave me some balance. But uh, I had a strong respect for my parents, and and they basically uh, you just have to be humble. The same people you meet going up, you're going to meet those same people coming down, and. Really, I just wanted to say uh, just really just put myself in the best position to uh, uh, to uh, to do what I need to do. And and it, it all started with just making a commitment to yourself uh, that you're going to be the best uh, when you are coming through the minor leagues. And if you're going to be an everyday player, then you don't want to room with a guy that doesn't play every day because that guy may not come in on time and that type of stuff. And the same way in the major leagues, you you don't want to room with a guy who uh, if you every day, you don't want to room with a guy that doesn't play every day, and so you always want to have that routine of going to bed at a certain time, getting up at a certain time, uh, hearing the same, hearing in the, the conversation that you hear, you want it to be uh, good conversation. So you room with guys that play every day, so the conversation is one way. So if you room with a guy that doesn't play every day, and and he's worrying about not playing and so forth and so on, so. it it keeps you in another mindset that you don't want to be in on a constant basis. At least, at least I did.
0: So you mentioned, you know, the strong desire to want to be the best player you could be and and especially defensively. And, and you weren't, you were a pretty good hitter too, man. Like that's, let's, I mean, the bat, the bat was working too. You see a lot of guys that win gold gloves that also hit 208. That wasn't you either. Now, when you, when you're in this phase, like you mentioned winning, half a dozen was it a half a dozen gold gloves in a row Uh, i won six in a row yes six in a row and then you didn't win a couple i think it was
1: three 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 years i didn't
0: win so that what that happens a lot to i mean that's not an uncommon thing and and to be able to so how did how did that affect your thought process uh because some people get defeated by that stuff and and some some people i know a lot of people too i'm actually one of them i'm not OK, I'd love to win gold gloves and awards, but that's not the, that's not really I don't get up wanting to do that. I know that there's a legacy item to that. But but like when you went through winning for a, a bunch in a row and then, you know, I think it says something to come back and win them again. But oh, yeah. what did, did you have to make any changes? Like how did that affect your thought process with that? How did you get back into that into that gold glove? F- phase of the game.
1: Well, I think the one thing that every year, every year I tell myself, uh, just be the best. Uh, I don't uh, uh, get into what if I don't win? Because uh, I always feel like if people got to vote, then you might as well let them vote and see what happens. Uh, you don't want to set yourself up for a big letdown. So mm-hmm. when I didn't get it, I just, I just said, well, I had a good year. We'll move on to the next one. And then after three years, I came back and won two more. So it's It's just stand with it, uh, stand confident in your abilities and and hopefully that other people will see it. Now, there was one year, I think 89, 88, 89, uh, where I was about 38 years old and I played 150 games and only made four errors. And and they were four throwing errors, four different first So I went the whole year and never missed a ball, never missed a throwing ball, never missed a ground ball. And I thought that would be the year that I would get my ninth gold glove. Uh, And after only making four errors and after 150 games and... Harold Reynolds won won the Gold Glove with 17 errors. So, so you just don't know when the your coaches and managers are voting. So maybe they didn't believe what they were seeing at my age.
0: So. <laughs> so I think the thing I've learned with the gold glove and MLB is that it often is, has a, a lot of gold bat in it as well.
1: <laughs> you know, yes, I have
0: always found that to be interesting because I keep, I don't, I, I, I couldn't tell you who won last year's gold glove at second base, but I've noticed that a lot of times that, that a really strong offensive year sometimes helps winning the gold glove. It, 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 does, it does help. But yeah. I, I think too, uh, uh, it, by today's standards,
1: uh, it's hard to get an error anymore. And and I think if I played by the
0: standards they're playing with today, uh, it would have been a lot easier to play. Meaning, you think that they'd give you an error a lot faster then than they would now? Oh yeah, I think
1: that I think the uh, uh, the accountability was a lot higher uh, because you wanted to make plays for your pitcher. And and I think today, if a ball is hit hard and got does and catch it, then it's not, it must be a base hit. You know, when I when I played. We used to said, hey, if the ball's hit hard, that doesn't mean I'm supposed to get caught. So, so we had different standards, uh, you know. We and then I think that is uh, one thing I noticed is that uh, if a guy holays a ball or if he doesn't get in front of a ball uh, and the ball's hit hard and, and it's a base hit, so you're always penalizing the pitcher at that point.
0: So, eighteen years of major league service is extremely long. That, I mean, that's a heck of a career. I think, I mean, well, first off, people, like you said, most people just want to stay relevant, stay in the league. <laughs> was, there any, was there any point along the way where you thought about quitting or retiring? No, no.
1: I, uh, I was always in good shape. I never had any, uh, any serious injuries. On uh, in 18 years, I was only on the disabled list three times. I had two poor muscles and a broken hand by being hit by a pitch. But I didn't have that any. might
0: be the most phenomenal stat out of all of them honestly that's a lot of games yeah so, so I never had a bad knees or
1: bad ankles or bad shoulders or bad backs or even playing on turf but I worked out year- round I did tons of sit-ups, tons of uh, push-ups I mean I just kept working all the time because playing on turf you, you have to be your core has to be strong yeah and so I stayed with that and and I'm, you know you get your one or two day things here but for the most part uh, I was on the field. And I think I played 2334 2,
0: games. Uh, I think so, the, ter- the turf that you were playing on, compared to what they call what turf is now, are way different. You oh were you were playing on that green carpet that they have at the driving <laughs> range.
1: <laughs> that, that,
0: yeah, year, that was that, that was about God. what turf was back then. Yeah, that, that first year
1: was horrible. I mean, no. they I mean they put a a, a piece of padding down like the land carpeting in the living yeah. room, and they had no drainage, so when it rained. Somebody hit a ground ball through the infield. You had to chase it because it'd get waterlogged and wouldn't make it to the outfielder. And then they'd get these Zamboni machines. The Zamboni machines up sucked, sucked the water up. Out. Is that what they use then? Yeah. Oh, wow. and, but in <laughs> the process, process yeah. you were you were uh, crushing the padding. And after a while, it just felt like you was playing on concrete. I mean, I had to take my spikes and get them ground up to the grinder and just get them as uh, short as I could so my ankles wouldn't roll over. So, but the second turf they came out with. Was very good, and, and I, really, I really enjoyed playing on that. That would have been what? The
0: er, is that the early eighties at that point? Really
1: no, before that. So I okay. think uh, late seventies, probably. But okay. it was it there, was like- there was
0: there was one year George Brown, It was when he was playing first base. I remember, he tore his ACL, and that was kind of a it was a turf related thing. That might have been more in the late eighties. Yeah, I mean, we had turf our, our, my whole career. Yeah. So we never we never
1: had grass while I was there, and and we go to places like Minnesota. It was horrible. Seattle was horrible. Uh, Toronto was really, really bad, so a lot of people just didn't have the knack of uh, of doing it the right way. They run the seams the wrong way and things like that. so uh, but that second one we got with, they had uh, underground draining, so we didn't have to worry about pooling water, things like that. So I mean I wouldn't I wouldn't have changed my career. I mean I, 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 was, I, was, I really love playing on turf because it showed all the skills that you had, your quickness and and, and things to range. Things like that, so I really enjoy playing them
0: too I got so in in 2014, I went to all 89 home games for the K. to 81 regular bucket list item, I'll never do it again. But yeah, so I went to all 81 home games and then the playoff games. I got I I felt like I injured myself just showing up and watching. I had like a whole new appreciation for the 162 game season. I was like, wow, because I I don't think you ever get any time to heal when things go the the wrong way. All right. So let's shift the topic for a second, because. One of the things, you know, we talk about entrepreneurship and sports and sports and collectibles and, and that has, oh my gosh, talk about the difference and things now and then, was that ever a part of your, did, did would, was that ever a part of your entrepreneurship as an athlete? Like, you know, you do appearances and autograph stuff. And I feel like that's like way different now than it would have been then. And, and by the way, I did find a Frank White autographed Royals ticket stub. I don't even know where it came from. I found it in a box a couple of weeks ago. So oh, well, Yeah, oh, well. so we this isn't the first time we've met. Well, you know, we did that
1: pretty much all the time. I mean, you, you have autograph sessions you you do you do personal appearances, you do speaking engagements, you do do a little bit of everything, uh, and that that was part of uh, I guess your side hustle. I guess is, is, is an easy way to say it, but uh, but I mean today it's more. Uh, it's more planned. There's more marketing involved today and, than it was when I played, and we we just get an invitation here, and an invitation there. It didn't pay very well, and but just put a but few the
0: league points. didn't pay that well then yeah, either. No, so that's were, why I mean that's why I was asking because as yeah. we uh, for those of you listening, um, uh, although he has passed, Frank and I share a family and known friend, Steve Boros, who is was yes, a, yes. a major league uh, uh, player coach and manager. And he was the Royals third base coach for quite a while. And I knew my mom and his wife were friends, but I remember, and I only met him a few times, but I remember him talking about being, he, you know, he played for the Detroit Tigers a long, long time ago. And uh, you mentioned being in the league after free agency. He certainly was not. And he used to work as a shoe salesman in the off season. And think about that now, like there's nobody that plays for the Kansas city Royals right now. That is probably has a, a, a department store job, if any kind of job at all in the off season, but the money was way different. So like, how, how did that, how did that dynamic change for you over your career or even compared to what it is now?
1: Well, I, uh, my first three years were under the old reserve clause. So I played three years that when it, when there was no free agency, and in 1973, the average salary, the starting, the starting salary was 14000 a year. That was minimum salary. And you get your standard 3%, 2% corporate raise, those type things. Uh, but in 1972, I was in AA. And at the end of, end of the season, like you said, we had to work. We had to work from the end of the season to spring training. So I couldn't find a job for six months. So I went down to the union hall. They were, they were building Kauffman Stadium at the time. And uh, Mr. Kauffman's chauffeur picked me up and took me to the union hall. And I got a union card. So I worked as a union laborer from September of 72 to April of 73 when I went to spring training. And then in June 12th, I played my first game in the stadium. So I was the first guy to go from building the stadium to planning the stadium and in my current job
0: as uh, Jackson County Executive, we own the stadiums, so it's, it's sort of a sort of a weird deal. Well, and, then, and now they're talking about building another one. Hopefully, you don't have to go work on that one. I think. No, for, no. call me. I'll go do that for you. That'd be the least <laughs> that I can do. I looked at. I, I asked Chat GPT to to give me some info about Major League salary history, just even over the last twenty years. Like, it, even in two thousand two, the minimum salary was three hundred grand right uh, and then oh, right. that is
1: because of uh, all the strikes we went to no. all the walkouts. i mean when i came in the game you had to be in the league 20 years to even qualify for a pension and and so we we got it down to 5 years and then finally got it down to one first day and so that that to me the i think
0: the minimum salary now is what 750 maybe it's uh 2020 it was 563 but it's somewhere in that ballpark yeah it's it keeps going up and yeah, that's. I mean, that seems like a, such a, a big difference, you know. It's a huge difference. It makes it makes a big difference in how you get your how you get your life started.
1: I mean, you yeah. can start by buying your house right away, where right. where that didn't happen when we were we were coming up. So, and, yeah, and okay. one thing too that we, that people forget though is back in the seventies and and most of the eighties, we were in the fifty percent tax bracket, also. Oh wow! And so, uh, so a lot of that got a lot of the money got eaten up between agents and taxes. <laughs> you know, you, so you had to you had to really watch yourself. Uh, pretty close.
0: Yeah, I want to uh, here in a second. I want to talk a little bit more about how you kind of maintain the balance uh, between work life and everything. <laughs> Got got to do some lifting here first, though, because remind everyone that finding (laughs) expert software developers doesn't have to be difficult, especially when you go to fullscale.io, where you can build a software team quickly and affordably. Use the fullscale platform to define your technical needs and then see what available developers, testers, and leaders are ready to join your team. Go to fullscale.io to learn more. I get in trouble if I don't do that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I can see that. I can see that. Yeah. No, that's, uh, well, you were, you were, uh. Yeah. One of my favorite commentators for years too. So I think you, you get that. Uh, now one of the things that, that is really challenging about entrepreneurship and business ownership is that it rarely, if ever falls into a nine to five job, you know, like uh, Murphy's law says that the worst thing will happen at the worst possible time. And I, I can validate that Murphy has a strong, uh, influence on all entrepreneurs' lives, meaning like if something big is going to break, it does it on your first day of vacation <laughs> or at three in the morning or something like that. And, and with that, a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with consistency and balance, uh, similar to athletes, musicians, other people that are really passionate about what they're doing. We also oftentimes get obsessed with things too, and that causes a lot of turmoil. And now in your particular case, you're talking about a lot of travel. You know, you, between spring training and eighty-one home games a year, you're gone a third of the time. Did you develop any in the in the? I, I know we talked about roommates and some other stuff, but how, what were some of your tricks or 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 what are your tips for balancing some of that and not having things fall apart around you?
1: Well, I think I think being married at the time really helped a lot because yeah. um, you know you had the family to to, to consider uh, that. That's enough in itself to keep you focused and keep you challenged. Right. And I just wanted to be able to uh, uh, be the best player I could be. I mean, uh, I think that um, you, you really just have to uh, go fall back on your uh, the principles that you were raised on. Um, my mom always said that, you know, if you if you value your relationship with your parents and, and when you have to make a decision, always ask yourself, what would my parents think? And so you always have these balancing points that you go by. And, and then if you, if nothing else you pick a phone up and you call and, and I could talk to my mom and dad about anything and they would give me uh, pep talks. And, and, but the one thing that really helped me a lot and, and uh, an awful lot, I've never been a guy that, uh, that I wanted people to tell me what they thought I wanted to hear. I always wanted, I always wanted a guy, I was a guy that said, tell me what, tell me the truth and let me deal with it. And, and, and my McRae was with my teammate and Hal was the guy I trusted most, and I would go to Hal and I say, "Well, no matter what I ask you, I want you to tell me the truth. Don't try to sugarcoat it. Whatever it is, just let it go." And I really felt like that—that that kept me balanced. I think that kept me from uh, taking mediocrity and trying to turn it into something good. And and it just—and and I think it held me more accountable uh, for being on the field, accountable to my teammates, accountable to the game. And and I really felt like. Uh, that was the balance that I needed was just just make sure and, and just getting up every day and knowing that somebody's expecting you to be at a certain place at a certain time doing a certain job. And and I just I just focused on that and. Mm-hmm.
0: I, I'm Hal McRae to a lot of entrepreneurs as well. And I've learned, you know, i tell you what, I've learned a couple of things with it. Cause I say that I'm the guy that people call that it's not uncommon for me to have, start a conversation. Hey Matt, I'm calling. Cause I know you'll tell me what's up. You won't sugarcoat it and whatever, but I've, I, but I've also ruffled a lot of feathers with that. And so when people call me and ask me that it's okay. First off, remember you asked second off, I'm not going to tell you what you just, I'm not going to tell you what you want to hear. And I'm also not going to argue with you about whether or not I'm right or, I'm right or wrong. Cause some people like they ask for the feedback, but they don't have that that you tell them and then they want to prove you wrong. They're like, Oh, but you're wrong. I'm like, I, maybe I am, maybe I'm not, but that's the way I'm seeing it. Now, whenever anybody that's in a, in like musicians and athletes stand on these stages that we all all look at, and in this, man, I'll tell you what, uh, I'm sure it's a lot different when you were playing, but I don't know how people do it now because there's a million chat rooms, comment threads, like all this stuff. What, what, what is your advice or input or experience about dealing with other people's commentaries? Because I think in the history of commentary, there's always been haters. <laughs> well, that's true. That is true. You know, when I, uh, when I played, I uh,
1: once you set a standard of play, then people expect to see that standard of play right. in the, on a year-in, year-out basis. Because people say, what was the most difficult thing about playing the game? Was it the 95 mile hour fastballs? Was it the slider? Was it curveballs? You no, know, it was It was, It was. was maintaining that standard of play that people wanted to see on a nightly basis. To me, that was the most difficult. And, and I think that uh, it wasn't hard for, because I was surrounded by good players. And, and we knew that we had a good team. We knew we had a chance to win when we went out there. All we had to do was do our job. And, and I was never concerned about the manager, who the manager was. I, I said, I don't think the manager can tell me in spring training is, I, I go in the office and I'll say, okay, what do you expect this year? He'll say 140 games. I'll say fine. And I'm out of the office. So I figured if a manager put me in a the lineup, then whatever happens to me is my fault. because Because I, I control what goes on at that point. So if you ever, if you never get in the lineup, then you're gonna complain a lot. So to me, it's about I don't care who the manager was, long as long as my name's in the lineup, and it was it was on me whether I was gonna be in there the next day or not. So I, I just wanted to make sure that I uh, I just was focused on uh, on my accountability and, and 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 being able to take good constructive criticism is something that's difficult for a lot of folks, and and I think that. If you're going to get better, then you have to be able to hear the bad because we can always sugarcoat things and make you feel like you're better than you are. But if when you tell someone what they need, their this self-improvement or whatever it might be, or maybe go to a different business model or whatever it might be, this is not working, whatever. Then they've got to be, uh, first of all, in a position where whoever's giving them the information, they trust them. And, and if, that, if that's the case, then making that switch is not hard. But if you don't trust the person that's bringing the information, then you're going to go a different direction.
0: Yeah, the advice I give people a lot is listen for when it, listen for the echo. When it starts to sound like an echo, because you just hear the same stuff again and again and again and again, uh, that's probably there's probably a lot of merit to what's going on. And I, I also give the entrepreneurs specifically advice about. Cause they'll be like, Hey, I'm getting a lot of buy-in on this. I mean, is it from your mom? Is it from your uncle Steve? Is it like, you know, people <laughs> that inherently aren't going to be like, yeah, your idea is terrible. Like don't do it. And uh, you know, like who's it coming from? And, and I think that athletes getting, well, I, I, know, I know I've referenced musicians as well. Cause they feel the same way. They're either like really resistant to it or they're like, or that's the most impactful stuff. Like a player telling another player something about their game is either fighting words or they're like, or it hits home. It's like, wow, that's, that's a peer. I, did you find that like, I it's you're, you're very humble and I believe that you could listen to it, but I know a lot of guys aren't.
1: Well, I, mean, I think, the, I think first of all, um, I think if somebody was to come up and just start banging on something that I know is not true, then i would probably react a little differently. Uh, sure. but, but the main thing is I asked for, it, you know, I'd say, hey, this is what I want. But I only did it with one guy. I would never do it with two or three guys, just one guy that you trust. And and, and that, that really helped me a lot. Uh, because if you're going to get better, then you need to hear the things that you need to hear to get better. You just can't, you're not going to get better if you keep doing the same old things and fail in the same old way. If someone has a, uh, hey, make this make this change, make this, try this, try that, you, you practice it and, and it comes to you sometimes, sometimes it don't. But, but you got to be able to hear it in order to be better. And, I mean, I would go into a game in a three-game series, four-game series, whatever it might be, and I would go to the second baseman on the other team, and I'd say, look, I'm, I'll play you for three days. I'm going to play you for four days. Because I always challenged myself that way. And and I was always uh, a disciplined guy. I mean, I never uh, got out of control. I mean, I played 18 years and never got kicked out of a ballgame. And... And people say, "Well, why?" You know, people would say, "Well, maybe you didn't care enough. Maybe you're not fiery enough." But no, it's it's knowing what you're what you're there for. I'm there to play, and I would tell my manager, "If I don't agree with something out there, I'm going to let you know. But if I don't see you coming, I'm gonna walk away. It's your it's your job to get kicked out, not mine. So I'm, my job is to play. And so when I had those guidelines for myself, then I uh, I stayed I stayed with it the whole time.
0: You were a manager for a while. Were you better at getting kicked out in that scenario?
1: Oh, I got kicked out of rookie wall. Yeah,
0: managing. i tell you,
1: most times you get kicked out, your players get you kicked out. Yeah. You, you're trying to support those guys. But the first time I get kicked out of the game as a as a, as a, a rookie league manager, I had no clue what to do with myself. <laughs> it's like, it's, I've never been here before. So. so I thought it
0: was kind of funny in the end, but.
1: Yeah. That, that, so at
0: managing, you're always going kick, to get kicked out of something for sure. I'm glad you kept that standard of excellence on kill there. <laughs> so, so, some of the best advice I ever received was uh, regarding like the ascent that we all have to whatever it is we're trying to achieve. Someone said to me that once, they said, Matt, what's easier, climbing the mountain by yourself or asking those on top to pull you up? And that was like one of those moments for me coming up. I was like, whoa, it was like in the Matrix, I spoke to the Oracle and I had this secret key. I I tell people a lot of time after I heard that I spent all my time looking up and yelling, can I get a hand? (laughs) Um, And and I got to say, there have been amazing people that took an interest in me for reasons I couldn't explain. Some of it was maybe just because I asked or they saw something in me. Uh, shout out a few of the guys or, or gals or whomever that, that were that, that pulled you up.
1: You know, my, uh, your coaches always, they got to come first. I and mean, <laughs> those are the guys that are going to get behind you. And those are the guys that are going to push you. And, and, and when the minor leagues, they they'd say, well, I, I had a triple A coach that said, you, you'd be a, a, a good shortstop in the major league. You'd be a great second baseman in the major leagues. So things like that. And then you just work, keep working from that angle. But, but my biggest, uh, Uh, help came when I got to the major leagues. Uh, We had guys on our team that uh, were veteran guys. Uh, They were under the, uh, they they weren't free free agents. Everything they got was going to be at the end end of the year, if we won any extra monies. So, but but the advice I got when I first came up was, uh, uh, Cookie Rojas told me, he said, well, when you learn when to do something and when not to do something, you're going to be fine. And I didn't have no clue what he was talking about. Uh, When I started playing the game, then I realized what he was talking about was your decision making. Once you learn how to make good decisions, then the game gets easier for you, and and you learn how to you learn how to win. Uh, John Mayberry, he said, "Hey, I don't care if it's sunshine, shining. I don't care if it's raining, snowing, cold. I don't care if the ball hits a rock." He said, "If if 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 you don't make the play, and the writers ask you what happened, say I messed it up, and, and and that's all you can say. Don't try to alibi it. Just say I just messed it up." He said, because what you want to do is you want to make your mistakes and you want to admit your mistakes and then you want to get better from your mistakes. So these are the things that I uh, I learned from those guys. I mean, they didn't play in the gray area. They didn't say, well, what if this or what if that? They say, hey, this is a do or die game. Either you do the job or you don't. There's nothing in the middle. And then we move on to the next play. So the accountability was very high back in those days and simply because we didn't have free agency and everybody was on one year contracts and and the big guys would say, your job is to set the table. My job is to drive them in. So you don't do your job. I can't do my job. So it wasn't like I go up there with a man on on second base and I can't get him to third base for the big guy. It was like when I came to the dugout, nobody was patting you on the back and nobody was saying that's okay. They would say, what the hell are you doing? (laughs) So so because it was all about everybody's job. And, and that's what uh, I think what, that's what helped me more because I realized how important each player was to the team because we all played a role and we had to be good at that role. And and those guys, uh, they, they they kept you in line. They, they they wanted to make sure that you knew that this wasn't a, 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 a game where you don't get a bunt down, that you're going to come back to the dugout and they're going to pat you on the back and say, get them tomorrow or. They didn't play that way, you know. They they want they, they want to know why you didn't get it done, and so that so the so the pressure was always on there for you to you be the best you can be at that particular time.
0: I think one of the things I've learned the most about the team dynamic and the leadership dynamic is that that key piece you take responsibility. It's like you like you you using the term accountability responsibility. The accountability is 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 slightly different, but you know if you mess it up, say you mess it up. I tell I tell people that work for me, I've got three hundred employees worldwide, and I'm saying, just own it, eat it, and get better from it. You know, because the thing is, is like I guess I'm the I am the manager in that regard, and I, you're, it's already passed. Like we already blew the opportunity, you already made the error or struck out or something, and like the, a bunch of excuses for why. Sound like an excuse as to why you don't want to grow or get better from that. So, <laughs> yeah. Once again, with me today, uh, Kansas City Royals, major league legend, Frank White, uh, local celebrity here in Kansas City. Uh, yeah, got a do my final my final heavy lifting here I could talk with you all day about baseball today's episode is brought to us by fullscale.io helping you build a a software team quickly and affordably Uh, sir on the way out like what's the best advice you could just give anybody that wants to accomplish or achieve the improbable like becoming a major league player
1: I I think first you have to identify uh, what you want to do Look for the opportunity to do it. And when that opportunity comes, give it give it your best shot. Uh, you know, we, we, we all want to get to the major leagues. We all, we'll all take different paths to get there. Uh, but don't get hung up on uh, what someone else got as a bonus or what who's getting this opportunity. But you just have to wait for your opportunity. And when you get it, then you have to shine in that opportunity. Have, it's up to you uh, to change people's minds. It's like being a utility guy. And, and you get to play when a guy's out for two weeks with an injury. That's your job. Your job then at that point is to make the manager's job tough, make, make it tough on him to, as to why he should put you back in the lineup. And you could do that a lot easier back in those days because other one-year contracts and the low salaries. Today it would be very difficult to do that. But but you, at least you can play well enough to put doubt in, in coaches' and managers' minds that maybe they should take another look at you somewhere else on the field and things like that.
0: Well, thanks again for joining me. Hopefully the listeners uh, – Uh, they hear me talk. I make a lot of baseball references knowing that people often don't know what the heck I'm talking about. So, (laughs) you know, we could maybe revisit that at some point. Thanks again for joining me. Uh, Hopefully if you're listening, you learned, you learned that the playbook isn't different folks. Like I I think the one thing I've learned is that success demands payment in advance. So start writing checks because, it's rare, if ever, that you're going to get to that place where you're winning gold gloves and World Series championships or whatever it is that you're chasing. You got to put in the work and you got to you got to stay consistent with it. And I think that's what what Frank White confirmed for us today. Thanks for joining me, Frank. I'll catch up with you. I'll, I'll catch I'll find you on the base path somewhere. How about that? <laughs> Thanks, Matt. I appreciate it. Thank you.